This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. There may be tornadic activity in your area. The penis variety. That's right, Dick Nato. Dick, Dick Nato. Fly it against your face. Slash. Glad you could join me. Almost midnight. Welcome back, Almost Midnight, a horror anthology podcast. I am your host, Mr. Cleaver, and I am joined here in the flesh by... In the flesh, pound for pound, by J.D.'s Nuts. So is that your new name now? J.D.'s Nuts? J.D.'s Nuts. Okay, I, I didn't think you could over- out-douche J.Dizzle, but yeah, you, you nailed out-douche. it. Out-douche, nice play. <laughs> what? You said out-douche. Out-douche, yeah, uh, or... What is there a better word for outdo? Uh, <laughs> Minus the sh. <laughs> but you didn't outdo yourself. You outdouched yourself. Yeah. You need a cool moniker like mine. I sound like uh like one of the first couple choices for the name of a serial killer before they finally settle on. Oh, I'm sorry that you have a name that's Claver, which is Don't almost dox. close to Cleaver. Don't dox me. I'm just gonna take this out. <laughs> And my last name's fucking Largent. Let's just come up with something there that sounds scary. Largent in charge. Anyway. Hero at Largent. Can we just, uh... How the hell are you tonight? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I have... I am adorned with the Mickey Mouse ears. I believe they're Halloween-themed. Yep. Halloween-themed Mickey Mouse ears that I am adorned with by your... One of your minions. And uh, I'm doing okay. My precocious six-year-old Brody. Yes. And uh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. You watch anything? Uh, Since I asked you five minutes ago? No. Like I said, just going back, we're breaking bad. And then we watched, um, what was it, Lawless, Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, a Prohibition era movie based on a true story about the Bond Grant brothers in West Virginia, or Virginia, during... The moonshining days. Was Guy Pierce in that? He was. Oh, you almost got Detective me. Rakes. Which he, you know, as far as his part, he knocked it out of the park just because his appearance in the film. He doesn't say, he, has, he doesn't have a single word of dialogue for like the first few minutes you see him. But automatically you look at him and you're just like, this guy is a f- pile of douche. And then he proceeds to be exactly that. I keep thinking he's due for breaking out like really hard. But I just, it just doesn't seem to be... Seemed to happen. You don't think he broke out in the rover? Well, the rover's not very well known. I think the only people who saw the rover was Guy Pierce and you and me. And, um... Robert Pattinson. R. Pats. Yeah. That's the movie that I saw where I'm like, okay, I guess this guy isn't a douche. So, yeah. So, you're thinking, like, on, on yeah, something that... Of critical acclaim that Guy Pierce needs to... Think. Was it L.A. Confidential, Memento? Oh, yeah. He's already kind of broke out, hadn't he? Yeah, but he didn't... He wasn't like... <laughs> yeah, but... But, he wasn't huge but, for a long time. He just kind of like, he started a couple things, including the awesome Ravenous. And then he kind of ducked back under. And it seemed like he was coming back because he was, he was the bad guy in Iron Man 3. He was. And then, speaking of Ravenous, I was going through my boxes of stuff that I had packed away during my many, many moves that I had made in the last three or four years. I had a shoebox full of stuff. 
And, lo and behold, in this shoebox was the copy of Ravenous that you gave me. After I bought the Blu-ray, which is pretty much DVD quality. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. You're like, I can. I want my DVD back. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, thanks. That's uh, that's uh, such an early DVD. It's letterboxed. So that, was, that was a good cast. Sorry. It was uh, Guy Pierce, uh, Robert Carlyle. Jeremy Davies. Jeremy Davies. Neil McDonough. Neil McDonough. Um, David Arquette. David Arquette. Jeffrey Jones, even though we know about Jeffrey Jones. We don't talk about Jeffrey Jones. We don't talk about Jeffrey's in general. <laughs> Jones's Dahmer's. Uh, if, uh, just to catch you up, guys, if you haven't heard, if you've been wondering where the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off has been, uh, not working. <laughs> Uh, turns out he paid a minor, a, a minor for naked photos, and I believe he's been busted with uh, not good stuff before. So that's what happened with Jeffrey Jones. Don't let him babysit. <laughs> yeah, pretty much when you get uh, caught right-handed being a petter ass, that pretty much tanks your, your. Even if you're like a blue-collar working guy and you get caught being a petter ass, you're done. <laughs> I love that, but yeah, you can be like a megalomaniacal fucking billionaire scientologist like torturing people and that's okay yeah that's cool but, but i was doing some research that army hammer man whoa <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whoa yeah he really chews women up and spits them out <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. like a meat grinder wait what yeah, yeah. it's so funny it was like he was on a rocket ship to fucking stardom and that rocking ship was filled with very voluptuous or probably attractive women that he wanted to eat. And we don't mean in the the totally cool... Clinolingus sexual way. Yeah, we're talking about... I think one of the stories I read was he paid a woman to basically, like, eat her arm. We're, we're getting into the weeds. Yep, let's get out of the weeds. Um, out of the weeds. Other than Lawless. Not much, man. Um... Yeah, it's been pretty stale on my end, unfortunately. Oh, yeah? You want to know what I've been watching? What have you been watching? I watched... Fuck, I forgot. I've been on a sci-fi kick, still. Ice Twisters. Uh, Cyborg Conquest, also known as Chrome Angels. Uh, what else did I watch? You know what? That might have to be it. I've been just... And these are all straight to sci-fi channel-like movies? You know they are. I don't know that for a fact, but now I do. Yeah. They sound like they would be, though, so that's, I mean... I'm on a voyage to collect a hard copy of virtually every sci-fi original movie that I can get my hands on. You know how you just stumble into these weird collecting things? Yeah, you kind of get down a rabbit hole and you just keep going. Yeah. So I'm at 209. Oh. Sci-fi movies. Straight to sci-fi? Yeah. Like they have the sci-fi logo on them? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or they were made and they, they were released on the sci-fi. There's some that are just so good you can't believe that they premiered on sci-fi like fucking in america dog soldiers premiered on sci-fi that was a good one yeah that was a good one anywho any house in flugen flugen hymen oh and i watched um nightmares which we're covering it, we yeah we just watched it did you watch it already and then you watch it now no i'm talking about now oh what okay oh i did watch uh lady in white has a little a young lucas hoss in it Lucas Haas, remind me, jiggle my memory and my balls. Let's see. He was in, he was the guy in Mars Attacks who was Jack Black's brother. He owned the donut, or he worked at the donut shop. That's pretty much the only thing I know him from. Oh, oh yeah. He was in Inception for a couple of minutes. Yep. Yep, I know you're talking about. He's part of the, uh, I'm about to use crass language, 
Apparently he's part of the Pussy Posse. <laughs> Have you ever heard of that? Uh, what was that? Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, Tobey Maguire, all the friends that kind of like that click. Yeah. 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 Viper Room. <laughs> Viper. Yeah, just a bunch of entitled white douchebags. Yep. Who got laid a lot. That's the Pussy Posse. Pussy Posse. I wish I had a posse that was that cool that this week it was be like called Pussy Posse and people are like, cool. all right. I'd rather have like break a beer bottle with my bare hand posse. Because pussy posse could also mean, like, don't mess with us. We're a bunch of pussies. I might start crying. <laughs> you want to throw down? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will scream like a bitch the entire time you beat me, and that's going to make you feel really insecure about it. All right, we're getting into the weed. We go into the weeds. <laughs> There's the weeds. Quite often. We need a fucking weed whacker as much as, as, much, as much time as we spin these fucking things. Um, Nineteen, Nightmares. Yes, 1983 from the director... Of Jaws the Revenge, arguably a masterpiece. I say arguably because everyone will argue with you that it's not. And But he also made a, a really this good movie, I think, and then uh, The Taking of Pelham 123, the original, with uh, Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, and Hector Elizondo. Is it a coincidence that he directed Robert Shaw in The Taking of Pelham 123, and then he directed the worst fucking Jaws movie? The Jaws franchise is exactly like the Superman franchise, where the first movie's great. The second movie's pretty good. The third movie is dog shit. And the fourth movie, somehow worse dog shit. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, franchises that are like that. It's like, first movie, stellar. Second movie, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Third movie, are you fucking kidding me? And the fourth movie, maybe a bit of a redemption? Fuck no, we're just gonna keep shitting on your chest. It's like the, the Hangover, where they just had no business being a franchise. Yeah, that was... This movie was produced for television, but apparently it turned out, you know, so so much better than they envisioned that it had a theatrical run in 1983, so that's super cool. And who's it starring? Emilio Estevez, Lance Hendrickson, Lance, Lance Hendrickson, Lance, 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 did you say Lance, Lance Hendrickson? I said Lance, Lance Hendrickson. It's got Lance Hendrickson in it. Lance. He was really good in Alien. <laughs> It's not aliens, it's aliens, douchebag. Uh, uh, Christina Raines from The Sentinel. Which, by the way, you say I need to watch. You do need to watch. That movie's fucked up. Richard Masur, Veronica Cartwright, Tony Plana, 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 Plana Funeral. So, you never, you've never even heard of this? No. Really? Wasn't even on my radar. And you're like, Nightmares, 1983. And I thought that was like the complete title of the movie. Like, <laughs> There's ni- 1983. It was like Fear Street, 1994. I'm like, okay. So I looked up Nightmares, 1983. Well, the, the reason why is because Nightmares is such a generic title. There's right. got to be 17 movies called. But then I'm like, I didn't even read the, the general little synopsis that they give you as you Google search things. And all I seen was Lance Henderson, not Lance, and Emilio Estevez. And I'm like... I'm in. Yeah, I caught the I caught the ass end of this on Chiller. No, not Chiller. I don't think I had Chiller at the time. It must have been sci-fi. No, no, it was. I think it was probably sci-fi. In the middle of the afternoon, I caught the rat segment, and I'm just like, whoa, whoa, it's a pretty big rat. It's a pretty big, superimposed fucking. I know the effects are kind of shitty. It's '83. It can get a pass. I know, and plus on a tube TV. Yeah, <laughs> it still looked like shit, but I mean, not as clear shit. Yeah, this one was a bit of a, a chore to find. They released a DVD very quickly, and then 
I think they made three three DVDs from this movie, and it's just been three people watching it, because that's how hard it was fucking to find. It was $150 for the out-of-print DVD until Scream Factory. Thank Christ, picked up the rights and released the Blu-ray, so. But I watched it for the first time on YouTube. The Tube. This is probably the first movie I've watched in full on YouTube, and I'm just like, this is amazing. Good place to go for uh, movies that haven't been released yet. All right. And see, like we were talking about, you know, uh, we had that conversation about the whole Napster Metallica debate or the, you know, and like the digital content era that we live in nowadays. And it's just like when YouTube first came along and then after a couple of years, people are like, we're just going to start uploading full versions of movies to this thing. And then YouTube caught on to it. Yeah. And now they're charging. Or it's like, we're just going to do it and charge you for it. And then you, you just don't. You just look up a different copy of it. Yeah. It's pretty good. I love it. Um, the fu- the thing that sucks is the stuff that you put that you put on there that you know they're gonna jump on. They'll either speed up the footage or change the audio in a subtle way or over, or over frame it so that somehow it dodges legal. But but yeah, like movies that have are nowhere to be found. Like one of my all time favorites, Grim Prairie Tales and uh, Iced, a really awesome slasher from the late eighties. If you if you're gonna see him, you gotta go there. Anyway, nineteen eighty three nightmares. The first short is called. Terror in Topanga. Now this one actually is a bit of an old urban legend, which is surprised me that you hadn't heard this story because it's almost like the old high beam story. You never heard that? I've heard that. You know where the, basically it's a woman driving home alone at night and there's a big truck behind her, a semi flashing its brights at her. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally she pulls over and he pulls over with her, and she's kind of freaked out. She's like, so what's going on? He's like, listen, there's a dude in your backseat, and I've been flashing my brights, it's kind of scaring him back down every time he gets up to, yeah. So that's interesting. So that's why I kind of almost saw the swerve happen in the third act. I was I was, I was, was happy to see that it took you by surprise, though. Yeah, yeah, no, it didn't. Because I thought right away the, because uh... so we, we've gotten, we've cut out, the beginning part of this segment a lot. I know. I just wanted to sneak that in real quick. Right. This cop, uh, with a bad wig. Would you say bad? It's pretty fucking horrid. It's like liar, liar. He's like, I just want to scrape that off and bury it with a shot. <laughs> Doesn't he end up? What was it in the blooper where he ends up taking? No, that's the blooper. He ends up taking it off and like slapping it against the wall or something like that. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cut that. Sorry. Yeah, it's 1983. So again. Yeah, he, he he's like an older guy in his 50s, and this obviously this smoking, this freaking smoke show. Uh, she's going a little bit too fast in her car, and uh, she's beautiful, so she gets a warning. <laughs> Whereas if uh, it was me, I would have gotten two tickets, and if it was a black person, they would have been shot 12 times for resisting arrest. That's fucked up, that's true. Um, yeah, so she, she takes the fuck off, he goes back to his car, and he starts hearing some rustling in the woods. Like, they're out in the woods, dark, middle of the night. Great, great atmosphere. And, uh, you know, he goes to check it out, and, uh, must have been nothing. And then, ah! The guy busts out and starts stabbing him. Pretty good stabbing, too. I'm, I'd give it, like, a 7 out of 10 stabbing. Yeah, it's pretty good stabbing, like I said, the uh, Foley person, though. The, so the sound effect on it got me. It just sounded like a knife being stabbed into some kind of, like, I'm gonna say watermelon, some kind of large fruit. Thunk! <laughs> there was a big, a big juicy thunk. As he's as the cops being stabbed, but it's brutal. He got stabbed in the hand. Oh man, yeah, he got yeah. fucked up. Left him for dead. 
And apparently this guy is escaped. And uh, he's on the loose, folks. He's out there. They gave him a full name. It's like something, something Glazer. Yeah. I just remembered. I don't know. Glazer. I just remember Glazer. I fucking hate that I don't can't remember names. Yeah, my uh, ability to retain information I just received is shit nowadays. Yeah, that's fair. We're, we're both getting old. So then we join Christina Raines at her house. She's this uh, beautiful middle-aged woman. She uh, gets her son put to bed. Whereupon she discovers that she is, I'm all out of cigarettes. And the husband's, like, apprehensive about letting her leave. He's like, I just heard on the news this, this, uh, Struber got stabbed. Just a whole bunch. Yeah, which her husband looks like a very, like, bargain store Peter Weller. Or, <laughs> if you're into, if you're a sports aficionado, Joe Montana. Watch the movie, give it a shout, or give it a look-see. You'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Anyway. I'll take your word for it. I don't give a fuck about sports. Well, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the audience. Anyway. <laughs> All right, that's all right. that's hostile for no reason. So she's, <laughs> well, yeah, they're arguing about it. She's like, "There's this escaped nutter on the loose. You're gonna get stabbed." He didn't say that, but he's just like, "You know what? You're not going out for those fucking cigarettes. You you need to quit anyway." Which she does, but you know, I'm thinking after this, yeah, she probably quits. Yeah, that might have done it. <laughs> this might have been it. This is probably her her nicoderm patch that finally fucking broke through here. Well, see, didn't I mention that during the segment? I was like, is this kind of like the underlying theme? This is like addiction will kill you. You just don't know in what form of which way it will kill you. In her case, it's you're going to quit smoking. You need to stop. Or it's not like cancer is going to take you out or emphysema. It's, it's going to be a psychopath in the backseat of your car as you're driving to you look for gas. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're good. Anyway. Uh, bleep, bleep, bleep. Um, yeah, basically, she she agreed with him. She's like, you know what? You're right, honey. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. And then uh, he went upstairs for something. Then he comes back down, and she had written on the little itty-bitty chalkboard. Non-addict, non-addicts do not understand. What was it? Non-addicts wouldn't understand. Love, Lisa. <laughs> Her name's Lisa. Lisa. So Lisa's fucking... Audi. Yep, she's on a dark road in the middle of the night. There's, uh, there's one fake house. By the way, this is fucking awesome atmosphere i know it's hard for you to grasp since you were you know just sitting in a in a well-lit room with another dude but if you were by yourself i would hesitate to say that this might get under your skin a little bit you know what i mean i can see that like, like driving alone at night i just i'm just a big fan of that aesthetic yeah so she's uh stops in the into the liquor store she stops at the liquor store and of course she's kind of like eyeballing everybody she's a little bit overly paranoid and she's talking to the dude at the register who's a character actor who I, of course, know from the immortal masterpiece, Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Right. Like I said, I remember seeing him in other stuff. I just can't place where. He's got a good character actor face. He does. Yeah. But he's just like, he's talking about, did you hear about that wacko stab that cop? Won't happen around here. I got this. And then she shows him the gun in his his uh, sock there. And he's, he's like, oh, that's great. I'm fucking taking off now. <laughs> he's like, hey, lady. That's eleven eighty seven. <laughs> Here you go. That sucked. Oh yeah, so she gets back in her car and you know she's taking off and uh, time to get back home. Then she realizes she's almost out of fuel. She's almost at her petrol is almost empty, which you you reassured me that even when you you were onto your reserve tank, you have at least five miles, five gallons roughly. 
Spoiler alert, I watched this high because I've already seen it. That's one of the fun things you can do when you actually see movies, James. Look, I don't, I don't know how cars work, all right? Anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you grew up with a dad, James. Some of us didn't. He flipped me off. You can't see it, but... So, yeah, she's frantically looking for a gas station so she can get some fuel in the tank and make it home. Her adventure to buy a pack of cigarettes has turned out to be kind of fruitless. Oh, no, she got him at the liquor store. Oh, yeah, yeah, the guy. Yeah, well, I mean, Hey, yeah. lady, you got your figures. Uh, but, yeah, so she's frantically searching for a gas station. Finally, it's like one of the last ones, you know, it's that scenario. And she comes up upon this gas station, and there's this attendant there, and he comes out, and he's kind of, like, standoffish. You don't really know. Yeah, he kind of, he's played by William Sanderson. Yeah, great, another great character actor. Yeah, who was in Deadwood and uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. What else was he? Did you can you think of any? Like I said, the only thing I immediately when I seen him is the uh, episode Blood from X Files. He was oh, the yeah. mailman and, and Blade Runner. Yeah, or the he worked in the post office, and he had the visions of the. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, it was like paranoia. He, mm-hmm. he started machines started telling him it was a pretty good episode, really good early season two episode. But yeah, he's like he's like. Filling her up, she's frantic, but you know what? Home stretch, she made it. This, I mean, this filling her car up. Yeah, he's filling her car up. Sorry, I. I <laughs> where's my brain? So she's he's he's giving her good fill up now. <laughs> and uh, and you know he's just he's acting weird. So we're like thinking like, oh fuck. I think we found the dude. <laughs> I immediately thought that. I was just right right there like. That's it's always the fucking guy at the gas station. <laughs> like it's always the guy, except for this one, <laughs> except for this particular gentleman here. And at this point, he's like, "So I guess the theme to this, or one of the main theme to this, would be addiction, not good." And I said, "Well, how about don't judge a book by its cover?" Because William Sanderson fucking elbows the window in and grabs her, and she's like fighting him, like, "No, what are you doing? Don't make it!" And we're thinking this is, oh shit, this is the killer we heard about on the radio. This is the dude. Yeah, he's pulling her all the way to the, all the way back to his store. And he drops her just long enough to go retrieve a gun, comes back out, points it directly in her direction. Turns out, he shot the weird motherfucker that was hiding in her back seat the entire time. Who had a big old knife. Big old fucking, yep, big sticker. So it was a nice little swerve there. Like I said, it's the it's the old, you know, urban legend swerve where it's like, no, I was trying to warn you about the dude in your backseat. Um, they would reuse this trope in 1998 in... with Brad Dourif. 1998, Brad Dourif. Urban legend. You know, him, you know how many times I've actually seen that movie in my lifetime? Dude, it's pretty fucking... It's pretty awesome. It is, but I've only seen it like a handful of times, and I barely remember it. Okay, awesome might be a stretch. I like it, though. I liked it. I remember it, but not yeah. that well. I think this was kind of... This was... I think that was pretty effective, too. They're both effective in their own ways. Yeah, so he empties a clip, and then he's, like, reassuring her. You know, really nice guy. I'm not going to call you out on technicalities, but it was a fucking revolver. Don't have a clip. It's a wheel gun. I, I empty clip, I think, just means he spends his... You know what I mean? That's why I said I'm not going to call you on technicalities. Uh, except that you did. Because that part, except, except for that exact except, part where you did. Except it's exactly what you fucking did. So let's just say you did it and move on. Okay. 
I didn't like have him coming out of there. You know what I mean? Like sideways gangster. That's the kill shot. <laughs> Drop him. That's the kill shot. <laughs> so yeah, he drops him. And uh, when the cops come, she has him take her back to her husband. And uh, they embrace. You know, she survived her night. I think she's reformed. Probably, probably going to start some patches tomorrow. Maybe. Or, I was going to say, you think she immediately lit up just because of the stressless situation? Oh, dude, you know she fucking did. <laughs> she smoked that whole fucking patch. If I'm being serious right now, like, exact, she chain-smoked that shit. If I survive something and there's anything that could settle my nerves, it's just, it's happening and you're <laughs> just going to deal with it. It's a bottle of Jack and a pack of cigarettes. I'm done. Yeah, so it's pretty quick. I, I like it. It's it's pretty straight to the point, simplistic, but I like the way it was it was shot and handled. It it's got a nice subtle ambiance to it. Like a good good dark atmosphere. What'd you think, James? I enjoy it, like you said, it's it very, very short. I expected it to be longer. And it was just like, Yep, that's it. But I liked it. <laughs> it was a good intro to the rest of the other segments. I'm kinda glad that even a movie from nineteen eighty three, which is forty one years old at this point. So, yeah, I was born in 85, so, yeah, no, nope, it would have been 40 years old, depending on what it was 40 made. years old on the nose, on the Nizzos. Anyway, a movie from 1983 could still throw you a little curveball. Yeah. It's nice to see. So, good start, and of course, you know, no wraparound. It just said, Tara Tep story number one, Tara Topanga. I think they, I think I might have been in, might have done with a wraparound of some kind. I don't know what they could have done, but anything was better than just flashing. By the way, I still love it, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of found myself wishing for a wraparound, a wraparound, a ribbity wraparound. Then we zoom into story number two, called "The Bishop of Battle." The Bishop of Battle, with a nearly prepubescent Emilio Estevez. Very blonde Emilio Estevez. Holy shit, is he blonde? He must have got all that darker color from after filming Maximum Overdrive. I don't know for that for a fact. But yeah, he's very young, very blonde. Um, just, yeah, useful. So yeah, he's bebopping down the street, heading to an arcade. By the way, how nostalgic did you feel about these arcades, man? Just the fact, yeah, the, the mall setting of it is just like, I remember when times were like that. And then you go into a mall and then like the arcade in the mall is like the spot. Damn right. Like everybody's there. It's like... What are we doing this weekend, guys? We're going to the fucking mall. We're going to the arcade. What do you think we're doing? Grab your quarters. We're going to the arcade. But yeah, he's he's heading uptown to an arcade uptown. And uh... he has a very aged. So yeah, obviously it, it doesn't hide the fact that the movie's dated. But the fucking Walkman is a size. Yeah, he's got a, a Walkman. fucking tape deck in a car on his. Yeah, he, he's got a roughly brick sized Walkman hanging off his belt the entire segment. Which, I mean. I would be doing the same thing back then. I don't know why we tear apart the minuscule details, but yeah, he's be bopping his way down to the local arcade there. He's got a he's got a friend who I would put Emily Westavez in his mid teens here, but his friend's like twelve or thirteen, so it's kind of an odd dichotomy here. Yeah, I don't know like if they're trying to portray have him portray like a, a teenager, but I'm pretty sure he's probably younger twenties. I don't think they were. Anyway, it's just kind of it's kind of an unusual, but yeah, he's basically they're talking about going into this arcade and pulling their little their little their little ruse here. Scam. Yeah, a couple scam artists. So they go up to this uh, 1983 cholo, and their way of telling you that they're in a gang is they have a hairnet on. 
Just the one though. Just the one guy has the hair net on. And they have the and the other ones have backwards bandanas. Well, they or, have or frontwards bandanas. I don't know how the fuck it works. They have bandanas around their head. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they were Bloods and Crips. I know, but they were Mexican. Anyway, <laughs> we're there. Hang on. <laughs> What's the Bloods and the Crips now? Am I incorrect in thinking that they were not a largely Hispanic gang? They're very diverse. I mean, you have your African-American Bloods and Crips, you have your Spanish Bloods and Crips, except the only difference is, and I know this, just because I grew up in California, not saying that makes a difference, but it does. Um, so as far as the only difference between the African-American Bloods and Crips and the Latino Bloods and Crips is you have Bloods, Crips, and you have Norteños and Sereños, North and South. Anyway. That's interesting. So yeah, he basically uh, bets his money against this this young Mexican um, boy, man, somewhere in the middle, <laughs> and uh, he takes them for all they're worth. But like halfway through, uh, one of them spots him, and they're like, "Oh, dude, do you know who that is? That's fucking JJ. It's fucking JJ from around the way, dude. That's fucking JJ. He's like this infamous gamer. He's like the Billy, the kid of the arcade. Wink, wink. Yeah." So, yeah, he's like, oh, no, it's JJ. We're getting scammed, guys. And then, yeah, Emilio. Emilio <laughs> has the most lax fucking response. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> We're getting scammed, guys. Oh, my gosh. What do we do? They're taking us to the cleaners, guys. He's cleaning us out of our quarters. Fuck him. So, yeah, Emilio and this young boy, by the way, played by... I always knew him as uh, Billy Jacoby. He's credited as Billy Jane. He's got a brother, but he was also in... Just one of the guys, uh, X-Ray, a.k.a. Hospital Massacre, and Bloody Birthday. And Trimmers. You know, that was his brother. Oh, that's his brother. They look very similar. They really do. But yeah, this kid, like, he's just one year away from uh, blowing away adults with a fucking gun and Bloody <laughs> Birthday. I'm not kidding, dude. You need to watch Bloody Birthday. It's fucking insane. I have no doubts. It's over there on the shelf. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> It's literally feet away from you. Um, yeah, so they beat feet. They're like, oh, let's get out of here. <laughs> jig us up. <laughs> the, jig, the jig happens to be up. And they chase him. They get on a bus. And they immediately go to the mall. Because JJ is obsessed with a game called... The Bishop of Battle. This is basically... Let me see. I, I've been out of the gaming business for a while. I'm not young. This is the Halo of 1980s. What's the big game these days? Uh, I know it's not Halo. That was a joke. But. Right. I I don't really... I mean, I game, but like... The Bishop of Battle, I, in comparison to a game nowadays, would probably be like, I don't fucking know. I don't know. I have, I have nothing. I have no comparison to it. All right. Good addition. <laughs> I can't so, think of it on the spot. Him and his young cohort, they're walking in, and his young cohort's like, look, I know you're trying to get to level 13. I'm telling you, it's impossible. Uh, Near say... Unachievable. Unachievable. And JJ's just like, you know what? No, that's not true. I heard about some guy in Texas got to it twice. So, apparently there's an urban legend about this game. Nobody's been able to beat it. But nobody beats it like Emilio has. I'm gonna... Yeah, you're right. Some of the things I say kind of comes out weird. I'm like Tobias Funke from Arrested Development. <laughs> By far my favorite character. Jason Bateman's like, I, what I want you to do is I want you to walk around an entire day with a tape recorder. <laughs> I think you're gonna be surprised by some of the things <laughs> Some of the dialogue that you say. Yeah. Because he was, he was trying to be in the blue man group. And so he painted himself blue and he said, no, nobody was around, so I'm, I'm afraid I just blew myself. <laughs> and then Jason Payton says, there's there's got to be a better way to say that. 
All right, we're going off in the weeds. Oh, out of the weeds. Redirect, redirect. Anyway, Bishop of Battle is this arcade game, uh, which appears to be just a bunch of nonsensical shapes, and he's shooting at them. Yeah, I'd almost compare it to like if you ever seen the movie Tron, not as good, but kind of the same graphics. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it, it doesn't ruin the the movie by any 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 stretch of the imagination because I, it's of its time and I love its time so. And, you know, these some of these old games that look deceptively easy, like Asteroids or some shit, you have no idea how painful they are. <laughs> like, if you, if you ever want to just put a gun in your mouth, play Pitfall, and try to, I don't know, do anything in it from Atari, remember that? I remember that. I remember playing Atari 2600. Yeah, Pitfall's fucking dumb. Frogger? Another one. Yeah. It's pretty much, uh, it's make, making... Gamers have rage aneurysms before Donkey Kong Country came along and took that fucking mantle. Get the vine. I'm trying to get the fucking vine. That's Pitfall and Donkey Kong. Okay, so Bishop of Battle. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Bishop of Battle. Yeah. Bishop of Battle. Battle. Lance. Lance Hendrickson. <laughs> what? Lance Hendrickson. Lance. Not even this fucking Lance Hendrickson. Lance. I was making fun of you for saying Lance. You know, he's he's got a handful of fucking quarters. It's like the fry from Futurama thing. It's like, all right, I got a, I got a half a bottle of Shasta Cola and then my All Rush mixtape. Let's rock. <laughs> and then it cuts into Tom Sawyer. Yeah, I wish fucking Emilio would have had, you know, he was more like his, his, his go-to music for why he was getting down on the gaming is uh, some very raw punk. Yeah, punk from all the way back in the day. It almost reminds me of his character from Repo Man. He was on the punk scene as well. But yeah, he's he's just, he's got his big ass headphones on and he's in a different world. Like, you would laugh, but this is everybody today. Just with more sophisticated gaming consoles. You know, he, he's making it, you know, he's, he's making it to level 12. He's kicking some ass, man. But he's just not getting it. Yep, he's kicking some A and he's just quite not there. He's on the cusp of greatness. In his mind, he's on that verge of level, the very mysterious legend of level 13. Legend, the legend of level 13. So basically, yeah, every, pretty, mu pretty much everybody, he has an entire entourage around him. Because this guy fucking JJ, man! It's fucking JJ! But uh, he's, he's, do he's pounding at it so long. What is with my phrasing tonight? <laughs> I can't quit it. I've pounded at it for a long time, too. Hey, pound. So anyway, he's pounding at it furiously. <laughs> Trying to get to level 13, and his entourage kind of tapers off. The chick who likes him tapers off. The only dude left in the shop is the dude wanting to close the fucking business down because it's time to go home. And Emilio threatens him with some violence, which is unnecessary. So basically, he's got all the hallmarks of uh, addiction like you were talking about. Yeah, like I said, I was like, I was like, that's why I asked you, you know, going before we get into segment three, I was like, so these first two segments, the underlying theme, I, my, my interpretation is addiction takes on many forms and, uh, you know, and it does, it can. So it's, it's kind of surreal. Not, you know, going back in retrospect. No, I agree with you. Like if the, if the next two segments had anything to do with addiction at right, all, right. I would say, so I didn't want to ruin that for you. I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing an addiction thing around here. It's like, yeah, well, don't get used to it. <laughs> Cause it's the last. <laughs> so he, yeah, he's like, uh, "I'll get you back, man. I'm gonna go home and talk to my mom. <laughs> you don't know nothing about me." And he comes in and he's a little bastard. He just immediately starts yelling at everybody. <laughs> he goes, "Play it, man, Bishop of Battle." They're like, "You're failing at school, bro. You can't. 
they don't say that he's he's their son, but you're like, you know what I mean? It's just typical '80s parent shit. He's like, you you're you're too much into this. All right, why don't you go get some sleep? Go to school tomorrow. He's like, you're always sending me to my room, Mom. God! One of these days, I'm going to be in Young Guns. One and two. And Stakeout. And another Stakeout. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he pisses off to his room. Slams the door. And he doesn't turn on Twisted Sister and start tearing down shit in his room like I thought he might. We're not going to take it. <laughs> uh, he's not going to take it. He's not going to take it lying down. No, no. So he... uh. He waits till a little bit later, till his parents are asleep. He opens his window and he uh And a very six foot four stunt man climbs out the window. I, I'm the one who pointed this out to you. Yeah. So he's like he 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 gets out of his window in the middle of the night and he like repels down like whatever weird fucking pipe is outside of his room. And it goes from like what, five foot four Emilio Estevez to like six foot man with a brown like, wig. Like pro WWF fucking wrestler size man. Yep. And then he runs, and then it's again Emilio Estevez. <laughs> yeah, it turns. He turns back into Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I don't know how he gets into the mall, man. Yeah, I never really. There's yeah. no like elaborate like break in of the mall arcade. Maybe the parlor or the what do you call the lobby shit stays. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, he breaks into the mall, breaks into the store. And you know what, bitches? It's time for level fucking 13. He's getting to Baker Dozen level if it fucking kills him. And even though he needs all of his sensory input because he has just committed a felony, he puts on his earphones and he is punk music, Bishop of Battle. I'm shooting at some shapes, bro. It's very last Starfighter. And he's like, bam, bam, bam. He's going to town. He's sweating so you can tell he's playing really hard. Yeah. He's just pounding away and pounding away. He's giving it all he's got. Sweating like a maniac. He's sweating like a maniac. He's sweating like his dad in Apocalypse Now. Beating the shit out of a hotel room. Because he needs to kill somebody. Not having a heart attack. Not having a heart attack. Not having a heart attack. But, yeah, he's 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 hitting the dirt so much that finally, fucking finally, level 13, bro. He fucking did it. He's there. He's, we're there. <laughs> he's going to level 13. Where beautiful women instinctively flock like the salmon of Castrano. This is level 13. This is what separates the men from the boys right here. Yep, this is the place where the beer flows like wine. This is level 13. So what happens first is, and I don't think he gives a good enough incredulous face when the arcade game itself kind of like, just like breaks itself. Well, yeah, this is, this is after the fact he's played level 13, beat it. And then, yeah, this arcade game kind of, like, comes to life, so to speak, and, yeah, just kind of self-destructs and destroys itself. Yeah, and he's just, like, here talking to him, and it's like, congratulations, JJ, you've beaten level 13 of the Bishop of Battle. He's like, whoa, I didn't tell you my name. And I'm like, yeah, you entered it when you first got here, man. You gotta quit doing this. You gotta quit doing this to yourself. You're addicted, clearly. Um, yeah, so it destroys itself, and he's just like, I guess that's what happens when you beat 13. Fuck yeah, fuck you, Bishop! He gives it two birds, and then um, some of those uh, fluorescent fucking game shapes start interfering in real world. IRL, yep. IRL, so he picks up the the gun from the from the fallen arcade system and starts blasting away. Apparently, level 14 is in the real world. He blasts away at all these different shapes. Doing a great job, actually. Like He's, just, he's still kicking some A. Yeah, he's kicking some. He kicks so much A that he's just like... 
he drops the gun like it's hot and the cops are on their way. And he's just booking it up and he's like, drop it like it's hot. He's dropping it like it's hot. And then he's like, he's making his way up the parking garage structure, like running. And he's like, that was close. I don't even have any questions. Yeah, he runs up to the same, like I said, uh, the uh, parking garage where Highlander probably just previously had his battle with That's the guy. That's 100% where they shot Highlander. So yeah, he's in that parking garage. He's like, whew, that was a close one. And the heavens seem to open up. <laughs> this is this big, bright white light. You don't see it. And then, whew, gone. Uh, next day, his young cohort is escorting JJ's parents who've been aware that he's been missing all night, thanks to his little friend. He's escorting them into the arcade and saying, well, if he's anywhere, he's fucking here. And they get in there, and the arcade's, like, pretty destroyed. Yeah, it, it seemed to kind of Christine itself, but not as, as well as Christine. Oh, the game put itself back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, damn right. So, uh, I don't know if... Yeah, the little his little friend walks up and sees that the, the bland face is now just... A photo real version of his friend JJ. There's just a little Emilio Estevez standing there. Holding the gun. Holding a holding yeah, holding one of those zap guns. He's like, You wanna play this shit? And uh I don't know what what would you do with the information that you know for a fact that a video game swallowed your best friend? I'd be like, Alright, well I'm playing this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he just drops a quarter in. <laughs> Let's do it. Dead Kennedy's on the walker. <laughs> yeah. Sex pistols, bitch. Uh and does he does he tell his parents? think he did because like the mom sees it and she's like like she has yeah. that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i, I would have tried to keep that under my hat like I, these 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 they got enough problems like their kids gone for good like do you want them to also know that <laughs> like all he had to really do is like put his hand on the screen like uh, yep he must not be here <laughs> uh jj no no jj here all right let's move on next no, arcade i'm gonna tell you something though i don't know where he's at but he definitely did not get swallowed by a sentient video game. He's definitely not in this particular arcade game. A thousand percent. So, uh... I get the fuck out of here. I'm gonna play this. <laughs> uh, take a hike. So what do you think the Bishop of Battle is? Do you think it requires sacrifice? Do you think that it... Do you think that the reason why it swallowed JJ was because so that JJ is now playing against the next player? Yeah, that's a good, good question. And it, it, this kind of, like, uh, sparked a memory. So there was... An actual, like, urban legend of an arcade game going around around that same time frame. What is it called? Polybi- what, what is it called? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, it, it killed people, supposedly. Yeah. 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 Cool. Fuck me. I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of what it is. So yeah. Use your phone. I want to say it's poly something. Like, it is, but... Yeah. I can't, uh... Polybius. Polybius. Polybius, apparently. It's a fictitious 1981 arcade game that is part of an urban legend. The legend describes the game as part of a government-run, crowdsourced psychology experiment based in Portland, Oregon. I guess that makes sense. There's not much else to do in Oregon, really. No, they get so bored there, they fucking kill themselves. <laughs> That's where Kevorkian was yeah. based out of. Anyway. The Doctor of Death. So how'd you feel about the Bishop of Battle? Uh, no, I liked it. It was, it was, uh, different, you know, like I said, it's not something you see every day. That's what I'm looking for. If I want to see something that I've seen every day, I would just watch something that I've seen every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I was out waiting. Jimmy's tum tum. It's making a noise. Yeah, it does that. Uh, it's saying, "I want cook, big black cook." Is that is that what my stomach was saying? 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, I love Bishop of Battle. It, this would would it would it be controversial to you if I told you that this is probably the most well liked segment in general, according to other viewers? Yeah. No. No. It's good. Yeah. Feels almost like an '80s Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's time, folks, for story number three. Story number three. Starring Lant Henriksen. Lant Henriksen. Called The Benediction. Yeah, so as it first starts, you kind of get this uh, panoramic shot, a little bit of the Alamo. So you're thinking, okay, there's somewhere Texas down south. Did you say that? Or the, did you tell me that, that, that it was the Alamo? Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess I forgot. Or now that I think about it, it may have not have been the Alamo. Or just you know, a mission down south in the Midwest. I don't remember the Alamo. You should. <laughs> um, All right, anyway, yeah. Basically, it pans down to Lance Hendrickson and... A priest. Yeah, his priest are having a conversation. He is leaving the priesthood. It's kind of weird how they, for such a short story with short structure, that they kind of tell it out of, out of order, kind of like a Tarantino movie. Because he's like, yeah, he's leaving. He's like, you know what? I've had it. I don't believe in, you know, this. I'll catch you later. And yes. uh, you slowly find out in flashbacks that apparently this young boy in the in his village, because it, it was a little Mexican village, was uh, hit in the head with a paint can. Or no, no, I'm I'm just kidding. Um, he just had a bloody head. I don't know if it, it was implied that he was hit and run, hit and ran, hit and ran. But I guess this this act this ultimate act of evil cowardice kind of kind of flipped his faith on its ear. Yeah, so he's kind of having somewhat like somewhat of an existential crisis where he's just he's questioning his beliefs, you know, good and evil and this and that, and basically he's in the conversations that he's having with the priest before he leaves the the mission is basically it's, it's all bullshit. Yeah, he says, um, I'm just. And it opens up with him having this really, really freaking cool dream where he's trying to get the snake out of a garden and he tries to pick it up and it burns his hands. Obviously, snake being an allegory for, you guessed it, phallic elements. Uh, as Freud would say, everything's a dick. Yep. No, I'm kidding. It's Satan. So he's, but he he kind of tells the, the priest that, you know, look, I don't believe in good and evil. It's It's just a big facade. So much so that, you know, as he's heading out of the mission, like, his his good friend, like, he hugs him and everything, but he's like, he's got a canteen of holy water that I believe he's taking somewhere. Like, this is blessed water. And he just grabs, he's like, I'm taking this with me. I got a long car ride with no AC. Yeah. Which, I mean, he seems like a really good guy, but that's the one part where you're just like, whoa, that's kind of, that kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> a bit aggressive. Give me your ho- give me your holy water, you fucking punk. <laughs> You were nice five minutes ago. Yeah, that was Lance Henriksen. <laughs> this is Lance Henriksen. I'm sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so he's loading up all his belongings. I think the idea is that he's kind of like hitting the road trying to find himself. Yeah, he's on a journey of uh, rediscovery. But what he's going to discover is... Um, a very badass, souped up, fucking awesome sauce, fucking black Chevy truck. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's driving along and everything's great. And then he comes to a stop there. And uh, as Jimmy said, here comes this big old souped up black truck. The kind of thing the devil might drive. But that's absurd. That's 
Yeah, I mean, if I were the devil, I'd be driving like, you know, a Ford Pinto. Um, What would be the most devilish thing to... Well, because, I mean, you know, the devil, he wants to be as inconspicuous as possible, so he'd probably drive like an everyday car. The the devil seems to me like he would want you to know he's there, so he would definitely probably like Dodge Viper. Yeah, they have those back in 83. It's the devil. (laughs) It's the fucking (laughs) devil, right? It's the fucking Beelzebub. Anyway, weeds again. All right. See, he comes up, and then this starts this and this. It's dual with a truck, pretty much. Like, yeah. <laughs> instead of a semi, it's, and this thing's just chasing him all over Tarnation. And at one point, he outruns it, and then he comes to like an intersection, looks behind him, looks over to the side, looks to one side. He's clear, like, clear. All right, where like, the fuck is this truck? Yeah, like I said, he's looking all around, and he's like, I don't know where the fuck this thing went, but I think I'm okay, so I'm gonna keep driving. And then I presage this by saying, okay, you're about to see what may be the most batshit part of this movie. What happens then? So as he's driving, which, by the way, I find kind of interesting because he took that canteen of water, which he never uses. He does. He throws it at the truck to get it does to go he? away at the end. Did yeah, what well, do you think he threw at the truck? A grenade? So yeah, he, he continues to go on his voyage here, and uh, lo and behold, the ground starts coming up, and I'm thinking, Tremors, get the fuck out. <laughs> Nope, it's the fucking truck. Comes out of the fucking ground. <laughs> I haven't seen this since Lone Wolf McCoy. How is it that we got in two Lone Wolf McCoy references, references in one podcast that has nothing to do with Chuck Norris? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it drives out of the ground and starts chasing him again. Yeah, and he's like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> At one point, you actually see that the driver, this is way on the nose, I agree, but it's kind of cool, too. Has an upside-down crucifix hanging from his rear view. Yeah, you never actually see the driver itself, but it does like an inward shot of the, or an outward shot, yeah, of the dash and the window area. And lo and behold, it's a black upside down crucifix. I'm like, a little, little on, yeah, the, on that nose there. Yeah. I'm starting to think this entire thing is an allegory for religion and ethics and morality and good and evil. Fuck. So this, so this truck, you know, chases him down. And it's just toying with him. Eventually just turns him over on its... What does he do? He, fuck, he fucking piles he, that fucking car. Yeah, he fucking hits him, spins him out. I mean, the car is fucking total disabled. And if that weren't good enough, he fucking flips around, does a really badass, like, reverse 180, comes back at Lance Henderson, who nearly escapes death, Hits the car again, flips it over on its hood, or on its top, and then, yeah. You forgot to mention that when he dove out of the way, that we got another uh, unfortunate stuntman sighting, so... (laughs) So, um, yeah. Lance Henriksen, uh, about five foot ten, uh, skinny as a rail, briefly turned into a six foot tall man with a black hair wig that looked nothing like Lance Henriksen. Probably the same stuntman that was used for Emilio Estevez. Probably, honestly. (laughs) Different, I mean, different week. Uh, I mean, we did watch the DVD, so it was on a 4K TV on DVD, or sorry, on Blu-ray, uh, and we were close to the screen, so that didn't help. And but I think honestly, I think you could have spot that stunt man on a Betamax. Yeah, he's like so. Yeah, so a, a six foot guy who got paid nowhere near as much as Lance Henriksen dives out of the way, and then Lance Henriksen returns, and uh, all of a sudden he's facing down the car. The truck's coming back. He's like uh. Well, this sucks. 
He's just like trying to sit there, like, what the fuck does this truck want from me? He's starting to. Your freak. gas cast left open. Yeah, like we were joking, like that'd be funny if he's just like after the first time he crashed into him, if he just turned around, it's like, hey, dude, gas cap's open. You can close that. I just want to let you know, bro. But no, I think it was. He was obviously still because I believe he was even saying something like, "Please God," and then he picks up the canteen, which is full of what he called tap water. With his cynicism, but is actually holy water, and he chucks it at the big black truck, and it turns into a blue frame, and then disappears. Yep. Bonk. So I think the black truck went into Bishop of Battle, too. (laughs) So it's JJ, a black truck, and this fucking... And a big rat, why not? Yeah. Uh, So the whole, yeah, I guess the whole thing, obviously, is an allegory for faith. And they even say to him, like, when he goes back to the the priest that he was talking the older priest that he was talking to, and he said, few men in the world have ever been given a sign this clear. You know, that's why they call it faith. You're supposed to accept it without substance. And, uh, yeah, he's a changed man. So you think that Lance Henderson sat there and, like, divulged this whole story of the black... I do. ...demonically possessed truck... I do. ...to this older gentleman? I do. And the older gentleman's just like... I'm just going to call somebody. (laughs) Okay, so this guy who actually believes that a dude built a really big boat with a bunch of animals to survive an immaculate conception, uh, the dead rising, and he's just like, the devil wasn't a truck. The devil wasn't a truck. Get this shit out of your head. It's 1983. Anyway, so yeah. uh, He's like, look. Now, a lot of guys get a, you know, pretty clear sign. What do you think? What do you think about the benediction? I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, I agree. This one, there's no subtext. It's all text. It tells you exactly flat out what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty uh, cut and dry. I thought it would be more fascinating if... It turned out to be some elaborate vision or something. I know that sounds more like a cop-out, but then they leave more open to interpretation instead of saying... This, that's one of the things I miss about There's There's not much ambiguity in these stories. I'm not saying there has to be. I'm just saying that it's pretty surface-level. surface, surface level. There's metaphoric like leanings. There's things that could be interpreted differently. As you said, like addiction being the main theme of the first two. And then this one obviously being about a man's struggle with faith. But uh, the last story is just about a big rat. <laughs> and I'm going to, just for a brief second, so you're talking about like rap rounds earlier in the segment. I think that the benediction, if there was any segment that could have had a rap round, that would have been one. Yeah. It just help you elaborate on it? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. But, you know, Lance Henriksen is always a big fucking plus. He's never been in a movie that didn't at least get two points for him being in it. The benediction... Starring Lance Henriksen. Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, it's a little bit heavy-handed. That's putting it mildly, but like I said, Lance Henriksen, one-man show about man's faith, Satan truck. I'm giving it a thumbs up. So far, not a miss in this since anthology, sir. Yeah, and that's another thing, too. Like, you ever notice that Lance, like, that was kind of cast in kind of similar fucking roles. So he went, he was in that. And then 88 rolls along. Pumpkinhead. Kind of a similar scenario. Dead kid. Anyway. Yeah, I can see that. He just, he always seems to play. 
just some people with dark edges. Which makes sense, because his face just looks like a fucking catcher's mitt. Like, no offense, like, he's more handsome than I am, but... You know what I mean? He just looks like... It's it's definitely weathered. Yeah, I just, like I said, he looks like every sketch from America's Most Wanted. But he's an amazing actor. Uh, cool guy in real life. Which, by the way, the TV series of the 90s that I never got a chance to watch, which my dad did, Millennium. I love Millennium. To this day, that's probably one of the best 90s shows that I've ever seen. Just for its time. Would you pit it over X-Files? No question. I don't think it got the fair shake that X-Files got. Right, but would you say it was better? I'd say it's probably better than the declining years of the X-Files. Was that fair? That's fair. But yeah, <sighs> Millennium, by the way, not streaming anywhere. DVDs are hard to find. Uh, I know somebody who has them. Segment four. I can't help it that I've kept everything that I've ever bought. No, it's a good practice. I wish I... And not lost a majority of all my collections that I had. Whether it be books, media, cards. Anyway. The last sex... Sex chef. The last sexy segment is The called. last sultry, sexy fucking slice of segment on this beautiful bitch is called... The Night of the Rat. <laughs> it's really to the point. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's kind of on the nose. <laughs> so this one's about a dog. About a fucking kangaroo. So we open, and uh, it's your fairly typical suburban household, but well, basically, it, it opens at night with Veronica Cartwright and Richard Masseur. Uh, she of alien fame, he of the thing fame. So we got two extraterrestrial, big extraterrestrial movie people in this bed, including Veronica Cartwright was in the aforementioned X Files. And I know it's not considered extraterrestrial but Mr. Minnesota is also in the miniseries straight to television it Stephen King's it Stephen Stephen Night of the Rat Rata Rata he kept saying that he's like that's that's Spanish for rat it was on Breaking Bad I'm like oh no definitely it was fucking true then He's he's like hung up on prestige te- or drama television, for some reason. Like every other day, he'll like shoot me like, "Dude, who thinks the better actor, James Gandolfini or Brian Cranston?" I literally just posed that question to you, poised that question to you today. Oh, so it's a true statement then. And I said, by the way, I said James Gandolfini barely. So yeah, they're they're laying in bed and they hear scratching upstairs, and she's like, "Wake up, hon! I think we got rat." And then Richard Mauser, he's just a... Do you say Mauser? Masseur, I'm sorry. I used to call him Mauser when I was growing up. I just want to make sure I heard Because <laughs> I talked about him a lot. <laughs> my girl, my girl too, and it were big staples in my house, so... Yeah, it's like... But yeah, she's like, uh, honey, I think we have rats. And she, he's basically faced that male chauvinistic stance like, shut up, bitch, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> it's talking again. <laughs> It's not that bad, but he's he's pretty pretty big fucking prick, you know. The only thing I want to hear out of you is you making me a fucking sandwich. <laughs> he's a pretty big prick, but he's just like, eh, you know what? I'll get some traps. I'll take care of it. Don't even worry about it. And uh, yeah, the, the next day she's still bugging him about it. And then I believe the daughter hears this phantom rat that we have yet to see on screen. Mm-hmm. Her cat's like 
catching on to it too, like acting like cats do when there's something around. They're like, oh, it's like cat's eye, only instead of like that little troll, it's a fucking, yeah, so it's, it's like eating through the wall, through the fucking house, and he's still like, don't call anybody, I'm cheap, <laughs> I'll take care of this, I'll put some traps out. Like, that'll fix everything, won't it, Richard Masseur? I'm glad Kurt Russell shot you in the head in the 1982 science fiction classic, The Thing. Ah, uh, one of my favorites. Oh, one of everybody's... This is one of those... Before we... Uh, well, well, we'll take a short sojourn into Weed's territory. Is that the biggest turnaround? Because it fucking flopped hard in the theaters. In, yeah. In 1982, like, that and Blade Runner, they, they both flopped fucking no but you couldn't find a per single person who gave a fuck about either of those and then it seems like in the 2000s well blade runner before the thing but like in the 2000s it was starting to be like this thing movie kind of fucks right you know like, yeah it slaps pretty hard dude that's what they said in the early 2000s yeah i don't know what people were like i guess as people were more concerned with uh the decadence and fucking i don't know i was just like how can you not watch those two movies especially with that kind of casting and directing and writing and realize, nah, it's not good. Maybe, I think, I think that the audiences need to, sometimes a movie can get released that's, it's meant to be significant, but it's just, you're not ready for it. It's like that old Michael J. Fox thing, like, you're not, I'm, I maybe you're not ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. So it's like a time capsule in a sense, essentially. I think it's just, arrives early, and so people weren't prepared for it. All those disgusting special effects, and anyway, Nightmares, 1983. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. So rats, they got a problem with these uh rats and the cat gets under the house and the yep. and then you get you kind of get your first little glimpsey of that of that rat with the red eyes. It, it looked like one of those old uh kind of like a Halloween um yeah, I guess decoration. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still it's still just a dark silhouette, so we we haven't had any like huge special effect problems yet. Uh that doesn't start until later. Uh, but it's it's kind of good sense of dread building. Like I said, it kind of reminded me of like that obscure uh, Peter Weller flick of unknown origin. Yeah, again, I yeah, I didn't I didn't, even, I didn't even heard about it until you mentioned it, so I didn't know. Yeah, Killer Rats. You know, you got Rats Night of Terror from Italy. You got Deadly Eyes from America, actually Canada. A lot of killer rat movies, but. This one is interesting. Yeah, you don't really see them much until the final standoff. And it's almost more like a weird domestic drama with a rat in the background. Yeah. And what did you say the rat was kind of like a metaphor for the uh, deterioration of like essentially the American dream, which you can also kind of say is essentially like middle America, yeah, suburban th life. Yeah, these guys, they're pretty, they're, he's a workaholic, you know, they're trying to put a bull in their backyard. They're yuppies. They're early yuppies, you know? And that's, he's, like I said, he's like, money's his god. And with that is the deterioration of the relationships in the household. Like, he's a bit short with his wife and even his little daughter. And and as these rat troubles get worse and worse, like, the, the home structure gets worse and worse. But I'm not wondering if those two things aren't connected. Like, you would have had a, a good case for the rat being some kind of metaphor for, like I said, the deterioration of the family structure. But, yeah. but uh, no, it's it's ta it, there's tangible shit missing in the house, like some of the wall, and she finally calls in uh, this 
dude with a white beard who kind of he kind of acts like a wizard almost. He's the weirdest fucking exterminator I've ever seen. I would rather have been like uh, Brad Dura from Graveyard Shift. That would have been awesome. Yeah. That's what I said. It's like a graveyard shift scenario. I've been quote, she like rings him up and he's like, hey, you got a rat problem. Yeah. Shows you his gun on his ankles. Like there's only one kind of deal with them type on their own terms. But yeah, the, the guy she calls up this exterminator is a very uh, peculiar guy. I would say plays it not like an exterminator. Plays it almost like I said, like a little wizard. Like he's like the Gandalf of rat extermination. He did look like Gandalf, didn't he? <laughs> I'm not huge on this segment. That's why I kind of keep wondering all over. It's not bad. It's just... Yeah, I can only imagine what that... Anyways, I'm going to... I don't know. I want to skip for Spoiler alert. Where were we at? Oh, so the rats. <laughs> the rat specialist. Richard Masur comes in. He says... He gets pissed because he does not want to hire an exterminator, even though the, ho- the fucking rat is bringing this house down around them. And he comes in. He's like, what do we owe you? Nothing. He's like, okay. And then he shakes his hand. He said, all right, fuck off. And he says, I'll take care of this rat myself, my friend. Friendo. Later, waiting, paying for it your whole life, friendo. Uh, so he's in his, in the bed with his wife later that night, middle of the night, and Gandalf calls her and says, "Gandalf the rat guy," calls her and says, uh, "This actually might be this this German rat creature, which I can't remember what you referred to it. So he has like this fucking spell book in front of him, and he's like reading to her the lore of this rat, which its heralds its origins are from Germany." Because, I mean, the guy's... Everything bad comes from Germany. Because, <laughs> I mean, well, it makes sense because the guy's from Germany himself, it sounds like. So, I mean, why not make it German lore about a fucking di- gigantic rat? Surprised he didn't have one of those, like, really long pipes. <laughs> so, you see, what we have here is a... And then he said it's a, it's a German word, but apparently it's, like, this unstoppable rat-like creature. And I think it's just probably him being paranoid or something because... I mean, we meet the rat, and it's not... Well, I, I guess you can't say it's not unkillable because it's not like they got a shot. Even though I think he could have taken a shot at him with the shotgun. Yeah, I mean, that rat, that superimposed rat. I can only imagine what that fucking rat looked like on regular DVD trying to watch that. What's as fuzzy as it was on Blu-ray. Yeah, I know, it's weird. Um, So, well, just to skip ahead, I'm sorry. Um, It's Dark Night of the Rat. It's like, shit's happening tonight. It's going down. Yeah, it's it's caused just enough destruction that Masur picks up a shotgun and he starts going up to the attic. He's like, it's like uh, Brian Cranston with a shotgun and terror tract. He's like... You and me are going to hell tonight, rat. And then uh, Veronica Cartwright's right behind him, his wife. And then she's like, let's go, uh, hon, just calm down. Let's, let's, let's. And then the door shuts and then locks behind them somehow. I don't know how the rat does this. Rat magic. <laughs> rat magic. Maybe Gandalf showed it how to do this. Vermin fucking black magic. They finally get the door busted down, go into the, their daughter's bedroom, and the the rat is just precariously perched over the bed. Over the end of his daughter's bed, only it's like a, I don't, it's like, it's this weird early visual effect where they kind of superimpose film footage of a rat over this film footage. So it's almost like not even a, it doesn't look the same, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not the same quality. Like, you can tell, like, they basically filmed the rat in probably some kind of cage, obviously. And then they're like, all right, we're going to take this, we're going to overlap it, and... Cold. And since rats don't know how to act, the rat's entire demeanor seems to be like, "Am I gonna get fed today? <laughs> What's going on, Terry? Can I get can I get food? I know it would have looked bad if it was like a puppet prosthetic. I get it; it might have looked chintzy, but I don't think anything looks chintzier than this, dude. 
Like I said, I'm all for, and I know it's probably they didn't have it in the budget, but I'm all for, especially back in 83, practical effects. They could have done some kind of puppeteering. Somehow they get it across their minds that the mama wants its baby back. So that rat that they caught earlier that I forgot to mention because I'm stupid. They'd caught a a smaller rat earlier on and uh, threw it out in the garbage. And the husband just like, Richard Masseur is like, oh, fuck. I'll go get your baby. And he goes out to the garbage. (laughs) Yeah, so somehow the daughter has, like, this link with the mama rat, and she tells them, the parents, is like, she just wants her baby back. Isn't that weird? It's kind of like a little Carol Ann thing. Just give her a baby back. And he's like, well, the problem is that we fucking killed it. (laughs) It's like, it's in the garbage. You want to go get it? So he goes down and gets it from the garbage and hands it to the rat, and the rat kind of just like, all right, cool, I guess. And then she climbs out the window and fucks off. Fucks off into the night. <laughs> and then uh, you hear the daughter's voice over the over the end. She's like, I wonder where she's going to now. I'm probably back to the film stock that you used to film it. I mean. And that's fucking it. That's the end of the fucking segment. That's... I gotta say, like, I <laughs> I like it. Don't love it. But, like, don't go out on your worst segment, dude. You, you should have tucked this in and maybe ended on a stronger one. You know what I mean? Like, if this was a second or third story, it'd be easier to, to skip over or to be underwhelmed by it, then you could have another good story. Right, so, like, instead of having, like, four segments, like, like they kind of did with the first segment, really short, tucked it in the middle between, and then had, like, a strong fifth. Finish with, uh, excuse me, finish with Bishop or Benediction, you're in, you're in business. I always wondered why they pick, it's like, when you release an album, like, how do you decide which, you know what I mean? It's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's just basically, it's all production, like, well, I think we should do that. Strongest story right up for us. Strongest story for me, personally? Yeah. I think we're pretty much in agreement between me and you. Yeah, the the uh, Bishop of Battle. Bishop of Battle is too much fun. Yeah. That's too much fun. I fucking love that. Uh, the effects, actually, for the 80s, still hold up pretty good. Yeah. Pretty well, yeah. yeah. Emilio was fun as fuck to watch. Uh, those arcades just gave you those good old nostalgic feels. Yeah, the mall. With the, you know, yeah. you don't see much of it, but you're just like, you know, for us that are, you know, I don't know what you, you can call us millennials, whatever. We're edging on forty. For us, of those that are going into the four aughts, we're like, I remember those fucking days, those glorious, glory days, dead passion by glory days. Next in the ranking, so we got the Bishop of Battle. I would say this is how this is how it's going to go right here for me personally. Bishop of Battle, Benediction, Terran Topanga, Rat. On the same except swap Benediction with Terran Topanga. I love that story. Like I said, it's just creepy, creepy, creep creeps. What did you think of Nightmares nineteen eighty three, James? I enjoyed it. Good, immensely. It wasn't like you said. It's uh, it not like any one story outside of Bishop of Battle was the. Cream de la cream of that anthology. But yeah. And so now we're going to sit here and uh, we'll say, obviously, <laughs> Terra Topanga out of 10. Strong 8. Strong 8. I'll give it a 9. Wow, that's weird. Okay, yeah. And then uh, Bishop of Battle. 9. 9 as well. What about the Benediction? Benediction, I'll give that one a s- solid 7. A rock solid seven. Maybe even a week eight. Night of the Rat. Six. I think that's generous. 
So, so far with me, you have covered Night Train to Terror, Terror Tract, Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight, From a Whisper to a Scream, and Nightmares. Yep. Now, just fuck off with Demon Knight, because that would be your favorite if I had you pick that. What's your favorite so far? Favorite so far of the anthologies? Oh, I'd venture to say probably, probably Terror Tract. Really? Yeah. That shocks me. I'm shocked. Why? I'm thunderstruck. Dun, 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 I don't know dun, why. Dun, it's just dun, such dun. a it's just such a unknown movie. You know what I mean? I because I, I love it personally, but I'm I'm surprised. Yeah. What would I, you say? Of those four, would be my probably nightmares actually. Um, nightmares are from whisper to a scream, because Night Train of Terror was just fucking bonkers. A fucking song though. Everybody's got something to do. Everybody but you. So next time, folks, me and Jimmy are planning on covering... Twilight Zone, the movie. Is that okay with you, James? That's completely fine with me, sir. It's been, been a few years. I can do it again. Which, by the way, little uh, precursor to that movie, if you don't know the uh, unfortunate events of the John Landis segment. We're going to talk about that a lot. Yeah. And how that man has made some of my favorite movies of all time. But I still think he's a rotten bastard. <laughs> so until next time when we're going to go from the crypt to the nightmares, Phil, straight to the Twilight Zone with Golden Earring. I was going to do the lyrics and I was just like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's, it's just Stepping a, into the Twilight. I can't do it. Golden Earring. Yeah. yeah that's a fucking, that song slaps hard. So, you know. I from know 1983 I, again. Yeah. We can't get out of 1983. It's alright. And then you want to do Cat's Eye, which is 84. So. I mean, I, it was a suggestion for a possibility for this cast. Which, like I said, not a strong pick, but it's an anthology. No, I like it. I like it a good deal. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna look forward to covering that with you. But after Twilight Zone. The movie. The movie. You guys take it easy. Stay scared out there. Hey, you should think of an outro. Like catchphrase. I will for next time. Okay. Like, say, like... Later, fuckers. I get to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Say so, until next Later, week. Bitches. Until next we meet, fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Or say Nasbadanya, you fuckers. Okay. I'll think of something.